Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And in three, two, one. So Justin, you ever have it where you thought about a business idea and you were kind of excited about it, but you weren't even sure if you were, if there was a market, you were talking to the right people, uh, if you're asking the right questions. I mean, I've, I've run into clients like that, but what about, what about for yourself for that, uh, like dog walking, uh, yeah, toy yeah. I mean, thing? I, I was going to start a junk removal company and I was, I was convinced that my junk removal company was going to be like the biggest thing ever. Um, my wife found out about it and she freaked on me. And, uh, and then I also came to realize that, uh, there's a lot of competition. I was in a market I was in over my head and, uh, it didn't work out. Now, did she freak out on you? Because, uh, she said, uh, you got to start with your room and, and, uh, that was the, well, well, the, the thing is I have this habit of like where I like to go garage selling and because of my room, because you've seen my room, uh-huh. uh, she doesn't like my habit of garage selling or because of our garage. If you've seen our garage. She doesn't yeah. like my habit again of collecting junk. And uh, part of the junk collecting business was that I was going to look for things like people's junk, try to flip it on the internet, and uh, and then also get paid to take their stuff. So I get paid to take their stuff, and I get paid to sell it. That was my theory. Uh, unfortunately, I had no support, and it didn't, it didn't come to be. But let me ask you this. Did you ask if there was a market for it, and did you find out if you were even like in the right lane, if you were even pointed in the right direction? Did you, did you think about that? I could have used some extra guidance. I could tell you that. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, lucky for you, we have a guest who's about to come on and he's going to tell you that your junk removal idea was probably terrible anyway, but he'll give you the reasons why you could have figured that out. And uh, I got to tell you, I'm really geeky about this next guest. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Marketing Geeks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. All right. Welcome back to the Marketing Geeks. And uh, we are so excited about our next guest. So we have a very, very special guest this week. We have Ryan Levesque, the author of the massive hit books, Ask and Choose. He's going to be joining us in just a minute. But before we bring him on, I want to make a quick blatant pitch for our upcoming webinar. So for all seven of our listeners and uh, anyone else that's a friend, perhaps, of the listeners, you can, uh, you can invite them to be on our brand new webinar for podcasting. So this is going to be how to, how to launch a podcast. 
It's called the Podcast Launchpad. And you can register for it by going to the URL podcastmasterycourse.com. Uh, again, that's podcastmasterycourse.com. That'll take you straight to the webinar registration page. Reserve your spot. Uh, it's going to take place on July 31st at 11.30 a.m. Pacific time. Um, I don't know what time that is for you, Andres, in the, in the Netherlands, but uh, 11.30 a.m. Pacific time. So be there or be not as cool as we are. We'll be right back with Lane, Ryan Levesque, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I, it is my great honor. Now, as a geek, as a, as, a, as a marketing geek and geeky about other things, I don't geek out about too much stuff. Like, uh, I'm currently geeking out about Stranger Things Season 3. I think that was, uh, blew my mind. Uh, but uh, uh, rarely do I geek out about our guests. But this guest is geeking me out. And uh, uh, he wrote, if you haven't read the book, uh, uh, Ask, uh, which goes over the Ask formula, which is really, uh, if you have a small business, uh, I recommend everybody pick this book up. Uh, he's a public speaker, a teacher. Uh, he's a, a, a pretty substantial person overall, probably one of the uh, top guests that we've ever had <laughs> on the Marketing Geeks. Ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Levesque. How's it going? What's up, guys? It's great to be here, oh, man. So cool, man. Thank you for, uh, in fact, we, we broke out the video on this uh, episode, which we <laughs> rarely do. We, uh, we wanna... uh, I, feel, I do feel special, though, though I do wonder, when you call me substantial, is that kind of like, does that mean that I'm gaining a little bit of weight? Like you're very substantial, like I'm substantially full? That's exactly um, no, right. That's, uh, yeah, no, that's <laughs> just me uh, uh, flattering my guest before we begin. <laughs> Never. <laughs> I'm going so, to tell my wife tonight. I'm like, honey, you look very sub substantial tonight. See if I don't get slapped. Well, well in the world, uh, <laughs> in the world of internet marketing, uh, you're actually a pretty well-known name. So in like in the niche community, I think you're a big, big name here um, in the, in the general public. I don't think people know you quite as well, but like in this uh, digital marketing niche, like you're a, you're a well-known, uh, a well-known commodity. So, so tell us a little bit about, um, and first of all, you, you just released the brand new book, Choose. Yes. So uh, tell us to start off, what, what inspired you to write Choose? Um, I, and I, I think I kind of got the answer from reading, uh, reading it, but um, I'd like to hear it from you. Like what inspired you to write it and, um, and who are you looking to help with that book? Yeah, you know, so, um, you know, you mentioned the first book, uh, Ask, which I have a, a copy of as well here. Um, you know, when, when we wrote Ask, uh, I had no idea what was going to happen with that book. Like truthfully, I wrote it and I had no idea what to expect. And it went on to become when it released the week it released was the number one bestselling book in the country. Um, Inc magazine rated it their number one marketing book of the year. Entrepreneur rated it the number two book of the year. It sold hundreds of thousands of copies. It's been published in all these different languages. And so when you write a book like that, that has that reach, you get letters from people who say that the book changed their life. But you also get letters from people who say, dude, I read the book, I follow what you teach, and it doesn't work. And when you get letters like that, it's kind of like a bit of a sucker punch in the gut. And um, it kind of led me down what became like a three-year research project to understand why some people were having tremendous success with the ASK method. And well, so before, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but before you go on, just so if our listeners haven't heard ASK, could you just kind of bullet point uh, what the ASK formula is and why someone would, would find it useful? And because and, I've got two questions about that. So first of all, tell us how, how did ASK come up? Uh, how, did it, how did it like get into your brain? What was the uh, reason you wrote it? And then, and then if you could just kind of bullet point uh, how the book came about. And then I, I have a second kind of a follow-up question after that. Yeah, you know, so uh, 
ask is the marketing methodology that we've used to enter 23 different markets successfully. And in a nutshell, it's a, it's a marketing method to figure out what people want to buy in any market. So before going into that market, before launching a product, before launching a marketing campaign, before doing a promotion, before building a funnel, it's the step that you go through beforehand to understand exactly what it is that people want. And it gives you a number of things. Number one, it gives you the exact language to use in your marketing copy. So when you ask the right questions, you can actually get the right natural language from your market to then reintroduce into your marketing copy. So that's number one. Number two is it confirms demand. So before you build anything, before you create anything, you know what it is that people actually want to buy. Uh, And number three, it gives you what are called the buckets or segments in your market. And one of the things that I teach is if you try to be all things to all people, you end up being nothing to nobody. So instead of selling in a one size fits fits all way, if you begin by first asking a few questions on your website so that you can diagnose a person's situation and prescribe the right solution, um, it not only allows you to better serve that audience, but better sell as well. And so that at a 30,000 foot view is what the ask method is all about. Now, um, asking questions, people always say, well, if I ask people, you know, Henry Ford said, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have told me faster horses. And people say, well, Steve Jobs said, people don't know what they want until you show it to them. And, you know, the reason why quotes like that ring true is because they are true. And uh, when it comes to asking, the questions are not what you might expect. You can't just go through the front door and go to a a person in your market and say, what should I sell and how much should I sell it for? Um, They're not going to be able to give you that answer. Um, you have to ask questions that are somewhat counterintuitive. And so the devil's in the details and the nuances matter. And that's what the Ask Method is all about. It's all about that approach. It's how to figure that out. Now, um, that approach has led to, if you've seen, you've probably seen the Ask Method being used with many of the businesses that you interact with on a daily basis, literally hundreds well, of thousands of copies. Let me tell you something. I, I was doing some consulting for a company and mm-hmm. I implored them. It was, a, it was a beauty brand and I implored mm-hmm. them to do this because they had no idea on, you know, as I started talking to them, they had no idea who their clients were. And so I, I, this was one of the things I was like, listen, you have to do this. If you want to survive, you have got to talk to your clients and really ask them like, what are they looking for? And, and it was, it was this guy who kind of had uh, what I like to call male answer syndrome. Like he, you know, I'm the CEO. I have the, I know everything. I don't need to ask you. Uh, just do your job. And it's like, I'm doing my job, man. Uh, but, uh, uh, but so, so, I mean, it's, it, it is it, for any company, this, this, the, the ask really asking your clients and pulling out of them uh, what it is that, that they need and providing it is so integral. Uh, but, but before you go on to the next part, I, I got to ask you this. So you, you wrote the book, it came out. What was it like for you? Because, you know, as a writer, you have no idea how it's going to be received. You don't know. But when it really like hit, what, tell me what that was like for you. Like a second you realize, like, oh, holy smack, <laughs> I, I got something, you know, what the nuts? Like, tell me about that experience. Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's funny, right? Because when you're, when you're going through it, and I think um, a lot of entrepreneurs will identify with this, um, I spent a lot of time paying attention to the stuff that didn't go right, as opposed to the stuff that did go well. You know, looking back, like a lot of things went well, which was awesome. But in the heat of the moment, like I'll give you an example. So if you, a bunch of things, I, I, you know, I'd like to tell people, you're only a first time author once, and thank goodness, because there's a lot of mistakes to be made. Um, I made a lot of mistakes. So I'll give you, I'll give you one example. Um, we didn't know that the book was going to become the phenomenon that it was. So uh, Amazon under-ordered 
book, the book. So, you know, they, they, they ordered fewer copies than they were selling. So when that happened, we sold, and I'm just, I don't remember the exact number, but let's say we sold 25,000 copies um, through Amazon alone on opening week. And um, they only had ordered 5,000 copies. Now, the problem with that is that those 20,000 copies that went unsold, that went, they were sold, but went unfulfilled, um, they don't count them toward the bestseller list because really? even though they're sold until they're fulfilled, they don't actually count. So if you've ever ordered a, a product on Amazon, this is specifically for books where, you know, it's, um, sorry, this is out of stock, but you know, come back later, whatever. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't count toward that week's sales the way that the book scan, um, uh, uh results, uh, are counted. So anyways, so long the story short, pre-orders too then or pre-orders not counted too? Well, if, if pre-orders are fulfilled, they're counted. But if they're unfulfilled, they're not counted. So, for example, yeah. if you pre-order the book on Amazon and Amazon says, all right, we have 17,000 pre-orders, let's order 17,000 copies of the book. And then they ship out 17,000 copies of the book on release day. Those all count. Okay. Um, but what ended up happening is because of what happened after launch, we launched and then all these sales uh, uh, started just exploding. Um, we had something like 20,000 unfulfilled orders. And what that meant was, even though we were the number one best-selling book in the country and we were counted on, you know, every, virtually every list, LA Times, USA Today, uh, uh, Publishers Weekly, every list except for one, the one that I was really hoping to get, which was New York Times. And um, because of the way New York Times counts their sales and the way that they uh, factor into their list, um, they didn't, we didn't count those 20,000 sales. So it was kind of like one of those oh. things where it was like, dang it. And um, the mistake that we made was number one, um, we didn't convince Amazon to order enough books, but I had no idea what I was doing. I was working with a, a small publisher. Number two, um, Amazon has a fallback uh, 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 setup where you can use um, print on demand. So with Amazon, if you don't, uh, if they don't have enough copies on hand, you can automatically switch with just a simple setting that your publisher takes care of for you in your Amazon account. Had we known about this, had my publisher known about this, and this was relatively new at the time, it wasn't like a, a thing that had been around. This is in 2015. So this, is, this is going back a few years now. Um, uh, we would have solved that problem. So when you ask, what was it like? My memories are all about that. My memories are all about like, dang it, if we would have messed up that thing, like we would have been the number one book on the New York Times list. Um, but we messed okay, so up. So if I were to ask your wife what, what, what she remembers about that time, <laughs> what would she say? Yeah, she would say, um, so it was interesting that it was at that time, um, that my, um, uh, second son was just born. So he was six months old at that time. Oh, wow. Um, and, uh, so we had just had our, um, had a baby and, uh, our son was born premature. And so it was a trying, trying couple months, oh, um, wow. especially the first couple of weeks when we were, you know, he was in the NICU and he had to be medevaced out of the hospital that we were, that we oh were my gosh. fine now. He's, he's, he's perfectly fine now, but we spent about a month living in the, um, hotel across the street from the hospital, um, mm -hmm. shortly before, um, the book, uh, was released and came out. So, um, I have some interviews, uh, online. If you dig, dig up, uh, enough, uh, or, uh, you know, go back in time enough. And it looks like I'm a mess. Like I'm wearing a tank top. I've got like crazy hair. It looks like I haven't, looks like I haven't slept forever. It's because I haven't slept forever. I probably hadn't showered. I was doing interviews to launch the book. 
Um, and my son was across the street at the, at the NICU and we were just taking shifts. We'd be on and off for, you know, um, you know, six, eight hours at a time. So that's probably what she would tell you. She would say, um, that's when Bradley was born and, uh, it was a little bit of a, a crazy time, but all, all has, all is fine and all turned out. Okay. Um, but it was definitely, um, there was definitely some sleepless nights and some pins and needles. Yeah. Cause here you, here you are on, on the one hand, you've got like the most amazing moment of your life, which is, you know, the birth of your son. And also, you know, arguably the second most exciting thing that's ever happened to you, you're publishing your first book. And so you're, you're probably like what doing interviews and going like dealing with calls from family and doctors and reporters. And like, like, how did you keep, how did you keep it all together during that time? Like what, what did you do to like center yourself through all of that? Yeah, it was, um, it was definitely, um, uh, you know, it was a bit of burning the bit, the, the, the candle on both ends to, to make yeah, it, man. make it happen. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. It's definitely some long days. And, you know, the thing now is like, we have a, um, we, you know, here we are almost five years later after the book, um, certainly after the book was written, um, ask was written. Um, and at the time we had a very small team, you know, um, this was a, this, this part of our business, even though we had gone into these 23 different niche markets, um, this part of our business actually teaching other people marketing. Um, was relatively new. So we didn't have a, we didn't have an infrastructure. We didn't have a team. We didn't have a business on that side of things. And um, so we were still doing a lot of stuff ourselves. Like, um, you know, my wife and I were still, you know, uh, um, shipping stuff out ourselves. We didn't ship the ask books out, but we were still shipping stuff out ourselves. We were doing a lot of the, a lot of the work in our business. And and here we are now um, about five years later, and we have, over 60 employees now. So we kind of from just a mom and pop operation, just the, just the two of us with a few people on the team helping us to, um, you know, like a real company. Um, so what was the other lines of business that you were running simultaneously? So we had, um, uh, partnerships and businesses in, um, over 20 different niche markets. So, in the orchid care space, I talk about that and ask. Um, we have a, a business in the orchid care space, teaching people how to care for their orchids, as in the flower. Um, we have a business in the memory improvement space, teaching people how to improve their memory. Um, we develop partnerships in all sorts of different markets, ranging from uh, selling satellite television subscriptions online, selling high-end water filtration systems, business funding, tennis instruction, golf instruction, um, weight loss supplements. Uh, we were in all these different markets. And, um, that's where the ask method was born. That's how we refined the methodology was going into market after market, after market, really figuring out what questions to ask, how to figure out exactly what people want and, um, how to, you know, set yourself up for success. So sticking uh, with the to- ask book, the launch, um, when you had a tiny team and you were launching a book that hit the LA times bestseller list, some of these top bestseller lists, tell us a little bit about like the marketing tactics that you use to do that. And I imagine you're using some guerrilla tactics back then since you have uh, limited resources, you're probably doing it a, little, a lot differently versus choose. Maybe tell us a little bit about how um, your marketing efforts differ as well between ask and choose now that you actually have a team, now that you actually have probably a bigger budget, I'm assuming, um, than when you first launched the, the first book. Yeah, you know, you know, when I launched Ask, I told people, um, I, I, I took a big risk. Um, I, uh, at, a, at a time when I was a, at a very different financial place than I am now, um, I basically uh, risked a million dollars on the project is what it came down to. Wow. I took wow. a million dollars out of the bank, which was a good, good chunk of, you know, our life savings. And, um, just 
went all in. Um, once I started getting a bit of traction and people were telling me they're reading the early manuscript of the book and they're saying this dude, I think this could be big, man. Um, I just decided to, to kind of put all my chips on the table. And so we went heavy on uh, paid advertising, getting people to buy the book. I didn't have a back end in our business at that time. So I was just getting people to buy the book and kind of said, we'll figure out the, the back end later. So we didn't have other products and services that we were selling at the time. Um, we rushed to create some stuff pretty quickly. Um, did a lot of podcast interviews. I think did 120 or 150 podcast interviews. So um, just telling the story. Uh, I think I love, um, I'm always grateful to be on shows like yours because I think podcast listeners are uh, some of the smartest, um, most uh, self-dedicated people in the world. Um, because in a world where most people are just screwing around watching, you know, time wasting videos on YouTube or just, um, you know, listening to music or doing nothing at all. Uh, they have made the decision to, to better themselves, right. To transform their car, their gym, their home into that, you know, that, that personal university. Um, so I love, uh, I'm a, I'm a, I have a, a strong affinity toward podcast listeners. I love listening to podcasts. I'm always listening to audiobooks and podcasts. Um, yeah, so I think um, podcast listeners are uh, just a great audience because they're they're drawn to to self improvement, um, whether that's in business or, or um, personal life or fitness or whatever it may be. Um, so of course, there's an entertaining aspect to it as well. Um, so I think um, I learned very quickly that um, podcasts, uh, much more so than than traditional media. Um, are a great way to, to get a book out there. I did a lot of traditional media. I was on television. Um, I did a lot of radio. I did New York, LA, DC, based Chicago, every major mar market. I was on radio, multiple shows, multiple times. Um, but uh, nothing moved the needle in the, in the way that podcasts did. Um, and then Facebook, we did a lot of volume on Facebook, a lot of, um, a lot of Facebook ads. And that was 2015? Yeah. You said 2015? 20, the book released in 2015, we probably started advertising at the end of 2014. Um, which was a, that was a more favorable time with Facebook ads as well, which is, uh, yeah, you know, it's, that's, that's, that's kind of what, one of the things that the lessons that we've learned now launching this book, you know, um, you know, the, the, the learnings that we've acquired in the last five years, uh, plus having a more senior team, a more seasoned team, a more experienced team is pretty much offset by the higher price of uh, cost of advertising on Facebook. Yeah. Um, and I don't, don't quote me on this number, but one of my, uh, one of my friends who's in a mastermind with me did a presentation recently and he shared that I think from 2015 to today, there's something like 12 times more advertisers on Facebook today than there were just five years ago. I'm so sure it's literally true. 12 times more competitive on Facebook right yeah. now than just like four or five years ago. That's insane. <laughs> Like imagine so, so that's you, like if you had like two competitors in 2015, that'd be like having 24 competitors now for the same ad inventory, right? It's like, so, um, so what's the, 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 the ad costs have gone up. Yeah. So, so this, this particular ad campaign that you're going to do for this book, how is it different from then? And what are you going to do moving forward to market, uh, the new book choose? Yeah. Um, you know, for us, we, we kind of doubled down on what worked with Ask. So we spent a lot of uh, time and money on Facebook ads. We spent a lot of um, uh, uh, time doing podcast interviews. And I'll, I'll share a few things that we've, that we've done differently. So number one, um, we have an infrastructure in our business now. We have a big, you know, we have a back end to our business. After, you know, um, 
you know, I'd love to, uh, many people choose to buy the book and get a ton of benefit from that. And then for those who want to go further, we have digital courses, we have a coaching program, we have uh, live events, we have intensives, we have workshops, we have all these opportunities for someone who wants to go deeper with us that didn't exist before. So um, that's the first thing. The second thing is, um, and, and if you're interested, anyone listening to this right now can actually check this out. Um, one of the hallmarks of the ask method is to use a segmentation funnel or a quiz funnel to ask questions when someone lands on your website so you can diagnose and prescribe. So that's the ask method in action. That's the, the build piece. If the ask method is three steps, choose your market, ask them what they want, build your funnel, choose, ask, build. Um, the build your funnel piece is most often a quiz funnel. Um, and unsurprisingly, we're using our own methodology in marketing this book. So we have a quiz that you can check out. It's uh, choosethequiz.com. Anybody can check it out. Um, and you can see how we use a quiz to sell our book on the back of that. Now, that quiz generates anywhere from about 1,500 to 2,500 email subscribers per day. So just on the back of this one quiz, we're adding over half a million email subscribers to our list over the course of a year. Um, and we're selling tens of thousands of copies of our book on the back of that quiz. Um, why quizzes? Well, uh, quizzes work incredibly well. Um, quizzes are incredibly compelling because you're tapping into the psychological power of self-discovery. So people care more about themselves than anything else in the world, right? So if you can Very offer <laughs> promise to learn more about themselves, um, then you can tap into that. Um, and uh, they're incredibly powerful for not only building your list, but also segmenting people into different buckets. That's another one of um, the new additions in our business. We have a software company called Bucket, um, which is the technology to implement all this. That didn't exist when I, when I wrote the first book. Um, we have thousands of users in that business. It's a multi-million dollar uh, software company. Um, and um, uh, when you put people into different buckets, then it allows you to speak to them in a much more targeted way. So even if you're selling everybody the same book or the same product, you can use the power of what we call perceived customization, which is you're talking about your one product, but you're speaking about it, you're positioning it in a different way. So instead of you know selling your Orchid Care book or your Choose book or your digital marketing course or your backpack or your iPhone case with the same webinar, the same video sales letter, the same sales page for everybody, you're identifying what bucket someone falls into so you can tweak a few things. You can show them a different headline, maybe show them a different video, maybe show them different testimonials based on who they are. Um, and we're doing the same thing. So, um, and you can check out an example of that in action simply by going to uh, choose quiz or choose the quiz.com. And it seems like a minor thing to do something like that, but it, it makes a huge difference. I know like one of the themes this year in uh, at the digital marketer conference was personalization. And you're essentially, you're hammering that home. You're helping to personalize the messaging within emails, within landing pages, within, I mean, all the copy I imagine. Um, and yes, uh, when you personalize people associate better to it, when we had Pat Flynn on the show, he talked about if you can narrow down somebody's problem uh, specifically and you, can, and you can give them like a small win, like tiny wins. We talked about that, how that's how you create super fans. And, um, and I think there's a lot to be said with, uh, with that. Do you, do you do something like that to help somebody get a small win before, um, before you make the next offer in your program? Absolutely. And, and Pat is using this, the ask method in his business in this exact way. Um, he's doing exactly this. When you go to Pat's website, you'll see him ask a few questions. And with that information, we'll steer you 
to one of several resources on, um, on his site. And so there's this universal pattern that exists, no matter what market you sell, um, where you can use the same hook. And, it, and the hook goes like this, you know, thanks for stopping to my website. Um, when it comes to improving your golf game, when it comes to making more money online, when it comes to whatever, um, as far as your next step, there's truly no one size fits all answer. But if you take a moment to tell me a little bit about your situation, I'll be able to direct you to the best resource and the best next step for you. Now, that is universally appealing. It does not matter what market you're in. You lead with that angle, with that hook, and you've got someone. They're going to be interested in that. And so um, we do this at every step in our business. We have a, um, an annual launch that we do for our flagship online uh, program, the, on, the uh, Ask Method Masterclass, which is a, 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 a program where we take people over 90 days through implementing the Ask Method step-by-step in their business. The first thing that we do when you uh, enroll in the free workshop that we hold once a year is we ask, which of the following best describes you? Are you just getting started in your business? Are you uh, looking to grow your email list? Um, are you serving a small number of clients in a deep way? Um, are you looking to expand your existing business that sells to hundreds or thousands of clients? Or do you do marketing for other people? Based on the answer to that one question, we customize the free workshop based on a person's bucket. They see different videos. They get different content. They see different case studies because the ask method is something like most products that we sell that can serve different people in different situations. And so that's the question I always ask people is I say, think about your product. Think about what you sell. Think about your show, your your, uh, podcast as an example. Um, Does your product serve different groups of people? And if the answer is yes, then this is something you absolutely want to be doing in your business. The question is, so, uh, how do you do it without getting overwhelmed? Because, you know, on the service, it's like, well, crap, does that mean I need five video sales letters, five webinars, five email follow-up sequences? And the reality is uh, there's simplicity on the far side of complexity. All you need to do is customize a few key touch points along the way that create the perception that the whole path is customized. The key is identifying what those parts are and putting those few key places into action. That's, that is so brilliant. And so, well, let me ask you this. If, if you, what, first of all, what kind of technology are you using for like a digital course, uh, for instance? Like, how do you serve that for somebody? How do, you, how do you use it? Is it something that you built? Is it proprietary or is it something that uh, is kind of off the shelf that anyone can employ? Yeah. So on the funnel side of things, uh, we use our own technology. We use Bucket. So Bucket is the tool that puts people into different buckets and serves up custom content based on the answers to the questions. On the course side of things, the actual course delivery, uh, much like Bucket, we built our own uh, technology. Um, we didn't find anything on the market that did exactly what we needed. Um, there's some great software in the market. It just didn't do what we needed to do. And one of the single biggest questions we get among our students, among our customers is, when are you going to make this thing for sale? Um, <laughs> yeah. Because uh, it, it does some really cool things. Um, but the truth is, it's, it's not in a place right now that's, um, that's ready for, um, you know, to, to bring to market. I don't know if it's something we'll ever bring to market. Um, but the short answer is, yeah, we custom built our own platform, mainly because um, there just wasn't anything on the market that quite delivered what we wanted to deliver in terms of customer experience and uh, the personalization and those elements that we wanted to. Now, how long have you been running Bucket? And, um, and is that available to the public? Is that something that comes with your Ask Launch program? Or how, how does that work? And I want to hear a little bit about what it's like to run a SaaS company 
Yeah. And, uh, Running which, as fast which as challenges totally that brought, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a totally different animal, man. Um, uh, so Bucket is available. You can go to bucket.io. So bucket.io. Um, and you can get, you can check out Bucket. I think we have a, a dollar month long trial. So if you're looking to build a quiz funnel, you're looking to build a segmentation funnel like we're talking about, you can check it out for a dollar. Um, and, um, you know, that business has been really interesting. Um, we created, we built that business because after publishing Ask, uh, one of the single biggest questions we got from readers and students was, this is great. What technology do you recommend? And the reality is, if you look at the landscape of technology available to do this sort of thing, you've got uh, a number of options, none of which are designed to do this thing. You've got some great survey software out there. You know, one of the biggest is Survey Gizmo or Survey Monkey. Uh, great for market research, not for building funnels that put people into different buckets that are designed to convert. Um, you've got great form creator software. So Typeform, for example, beautiful forms, absolutely beautiful, but not designed for a direct response conversion funnel. It's just a beautiful form. Um, you've got great one size fits all funnels. So ClickFunnels is a great example. You can build a start here, go here, go here funnel. Um, and then you've got a lot of kind of viral quiz builders that are like to build those BuzzFeed quizzes to generate like a lot of viral clicks, but they don't convert those clicks into customers. It's great to ask people what type of cheese you are, but not to convert them into an actual customer. So yeah. um, what we built with Gouda. Bucket. I'm, I'm definitely Gouda. I'm Gorgonzola. So, um, you know. <laughs> as long as you don't smell um, like Gorgonzola, you're, you're okay. Swiss cheese and full holes. Swiss cheese, full holes. I love it. Um, but, um, but we built Bucket as a tool really that, um, that, like, that is a tool where you can build quiz, quiz funnels that convert clicks into customers. And um, there really isn't very much on the market that does that specific thing. And so we found that there's a niche that needed to be filled uh, because there's nothing else out there. And that's why we built it. Now, when it comes to, you asked the question, what is it like building a software company? Um, much running like, one, running uh, one too. <laughs> yeah, running a software company. Um, so much like uh, writing a book, I like to tell people, um, so here's my advice. You want to build a software company, this is what you do. Um, uh, you withdraw $1 million in cash from a bank. Um, you take it outside, you put it in a dumpster, you light it on fire. And once the smoke clears, you can get started. Um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> software is incredibly, incredibly expensive to get off the ground. Um, and we learned that kind of the hard way. Um, we decided to bootstrap that business. So I self-funded the whole thing. Um, wow. And uh, we, we bootstrapped it as opposed to raising capital, which we could have. And we've had a lot of offers um, to either buy the company or invest in the company. And we just wanted to stay in control of our own destiny and, and bootstrap it. Um, and uh, it comes with pluses and minuses. The, the, what pluses is we're in control. Um, I don't, we don't have to grow uh, any faster than we want to. So we don't have anyone with a gun to our head saying, you know, you need to double in size in the next three months or else um, and work around the clock. I'm kind of past that point in my life where I'm, you know, I've got young kids and you know, family's really important to me. So I don't, I don't work 18 hour days anymore. Um, you know, I don't work weekends anymore. So um, so that was really important to me. Um, downside is we need to be really strate strategic where we invest. Like we don't have $10 million in the bank burning a hole in our pocket to, you know, throw it at a problem. Um, so, you know, running the company has been, been really interesting. Um, I don't run the company by myself, nor do I run the ask method business by, by myself, the ask method company and in bucket, I have a partner in both of those businesses. Um, and we run both companies on the rocket fuel model. If you're familiar with uh, Gino Wickman's work, um, rocket fuel, traction, uh, get a grip, uh, EOS, the entrepreneur's operating system. Um, Can you break that down just a little bit uh, really quickly? 
Yeah. So, um, so rocket fuel, um, just to take one piece of uh, Gino Wickman's work, is this concept that every successful company uh, doesn't have a single person at the top, but there are always two. Um, there is uh, Bill Gates and Paul Allen. You've got um, uh, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. Audra um, Sturgeon, Justin Womack. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> right there. Yeah, exactly. So you know it. And this will be interesting for you guys if you're not familiar with this model is um, at every top, there tends to be a VI relationship. And the V stands for visionary and the I stands for integrator. Now, the visionary is the person who most typically is, um, you know, sets the vision for the company, is the big thinker, tends to be the entrepreneur, tends to be the person that lights the fire, tends to be the person that gets things going. Um, the integrator is more of the get things done person, the person who runs the day-to-day operations, who, um, you know, manages the staff, who, you know, runs meetings and things like that. Um, and there's more to it than that. But at a high level, that's the relationship. And uh, we run our company on that model. I'm the V, my partner's the I. So when you ask the question, what's it like running a software company? I don't know that I'm going <laughs> to answer that question because I don't really run the day-to-day operations. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got um, 30 employees or so in that business, um, but I don't run the day-to-day operations. I get involved with the vision of the, the company and the vision of the product. Um, I get involved in new product development and new ideas and things like that. Um, but I'm not running our um, development sprints. I'm not running our um, retrospectives. I'm not running those meetings. I'm not managing the team. I'm not hiring. I'm not firing. Um, so it's a, um, uh, you know, it's a, it's a team piece. And I could not, truthfully, could not uh, have even uh, attempted mm-hmm. to um, get into that business were it not for now, um, having an integrator partner. Do you know whether, uh, I assume you would know this though, what are the expenses like to upkeep a site like that or a SaaS product like that? Are, are there, are they, are they high expenses or once you get through the initial phase of building the thing and you go through the first couple million dollars, does yeah. the, do the expenses drop and then, then you start to recoup, uh, well, that's the, recuperate yeah, some that's money? The, that's the allure of software, right? So if you look at two opposite ends of the spectrum, and I've been in both of these businesses before. So if you take a, a service-based business like consulting, for example, Consulting, no startup costs. You can literally start a business with your, you know, your cell phone and your laptop, and that's all that you need. Um, it's all uh, a margin. It's all profit, with the ex- with the exception of you know your computer and your and your cell phone. Um, but uh, there's no leverage, meaning you're selling your time. Um, and if you want to scale that business, it typically scales in a linear fashion. Meaning, if you want to grow that business, you've got to add more people. So you want to double in size, you got to double the number of people. Um, so expenses tend to double. So it kind of grows at a linear rate versus software is very different. Software, it's sort of like you're building this ATM machine. Now to build this ATM machine costs a lot of money, costs a lot of work um, before the ATM machine spits out its first dollar. Um, but once you build that machine, it's kind of like pretty scalable. You don't need to hire a bunch more engineers to run that machine unless you want to expand the machine or build a different machine or um, grow the machine further. So from that standpoint, it's, um, it requires this critical mass, um, which is, I think, the thing that holds a lot of people back from ever getting there. You know? So let's, let's call it a critical mass of, I'm going to use round numbers, but um, you know, $50,000, $100,000 a month in overhead expenses that you just got to get to. But then once you get beyond that, when you double in size to from $1 million a year to $2 million a year, you're not really doubling your expenses. You might only need to increase your expenses by 10%. So then it becomes uh, very uh, lucrative, very profitable. Um, but uh, the, the, the key is getting there. Um, 
and getting there is not easy. It's, it's definitely a lot more work than I, than I expected to, um, to get there. And, um, a lot of risk too. So so let me get this right. You're saying it's not easy to have a million (laughs) dollars in the bank. I don't know, buddy. I don't know. Uh, Russell Russell Brunson makes it look so easy. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. All you do is you just, you know, yeah. Um, click a button and then a million dollars comes out. Yeah. It's, it's, listen, I mean, we know, we know that it's, um, you know, like anything, I'm sure like, you know, from the outside world, put, putting together a podcast like this might seem really easy, right? Like, Oh, how hard can this be? Just get a microphone, get some guests and say some things and this is it. And then, you know, that there's a lot more worms in that can. There's a lot more things you need to do to get the, get the ratings, get the traction, get the audience, produce the content, multi-purpose it, all the things that you need to do to, have a successful yeah. podcast. No, man, we, we just actually just put the microphones up and just started talking and got guests, actually. It's just... beginning <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Now, Under, Under, my, my analogy Under, here. Anderson's Under, wife does our booking now, which gave us a, a huge edge, though. So now that, that's made a big, big difference. Yeah, she's running our social media, but, you know, that's, that's why I married her, simply because I knew she'd work for free. Uh, so, <laughs> you know. Uh, but, well, let me switch gears a little bit here because uh, I want to find out about the new book. I want to find out uh, you, you were mentioning that a lot of people had some unanswered questions. I want to know what yeah. those unanswered questions were and what the process was uh, to write this book to the point that we are here today. Yeah. Um, yeah. So going back to ask, you know, I mentioned a bunch of people had a ton of success with ask um, and uh, you know, guys like Charlie Wallace, who was making 12,000 bucks a month in his business. And he used ask. Oh, you know, Charlie in- Wallace. Uh, yeah, guy owes me ten bucks. He's like, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I don't. I never met the guy. <laughs> That's funny. Um, went from twelve thousand dollars a month to two point two million dollars a year um, using what he learned and ask. And guys like Jamal, who was making seventeen dollars an hour, bought the book, um, grew his business to over half a million dollars a year in about eighteen months. Um, so there are stories like that which are awesome, inspiring, and really cool. And then there are also people who read the book and struggled and didn't have success. And I was again, frustrated, trying to figure out what were they doing wrong. And all roads kept going back to the same thing. They were choosing bad markets. And the analogy or the metaphor that I use in this book in Choose is it's sort of like this. Like when you start a business and you make the decision to start a business, it's sort of like deciding to take your raft and toss it in a river, knowing that that river is going to get you to where you want to go, that destination, that promised land that you're looking for in uh, building your business. Now, when you throw your raft in a river, you can buy the best raft money can buy. You can buy the best equipment. You can hire the best crew. You can row 18 hours a day, seven days a week. But that raft is pointed in the wrong direction. Or worse yet, you've thrown that raft in a river that doesn't have any water in it. You're never going to get to where you want to go. And that's what I realized the mistake people were making is I didn't teach people how to choose the right river. The river that's not too big the river that's not too small, the river that has a current at your back that propels you forward to your destination that gets you to where you want to go. Um, And that's what Choose is all about. It's all about, if Ask is all about how to figure out what people want to buy in any market, Choose is all about how to choose the right market in the first place. And it's a real deep dive on this question around what makes a good market, um, which is, in, in my view, and the view of this book, the single most important decision before starting your business. So can you, can you lay down a little bit about like what, what some of those things are that would help you choose 
to make sure that you're going in the right direction. Because uh, I, I met with a friend of mine the other day who uh, wanted some uh, free marketing advice and you just have to buy me a cup of coffee and I'll tell you whatever you want to know. Uh, mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, it, it, you know, one of the things that she said was like, oh, I've got this product and I want to like get it, you know, maybe I'm thinking about getting it built in China or getting it, I'm not sure. And, you know, maybe I should run some prototypes. And I was like, well, you should really find out how much of a market there is before you do any of that. And the thing that I recommended to her was build a website, go get people through the sales process. And at the end, when they hit buy, just have a thing that shows up and says, sorry, we're sold out. And then you'll know how many people hit that, that buy button. But you've got to know that first, right? Uh, employing some of the ask method, employing some of these other methods. Uh, and, and a lot of people don't do that. They think that there's this whole scaling up thing. They got to burn the million dollars first, right? So, so give us some of the kind of the, the, the really top level sort of things that people may want to do before they go through all of that, that heartache and losing all of that money. Yeah, you know, so um, what you describe right there is um, one of the main reasons why I wrote this book. What I found is that so much of the conventional wisdom out there, and I made this mistake myself when I first went into business, is around answering the question of what. What product should I create? What should I sell? What type of business should I start? And the reality is the question you want to be asking yourself isn't what, it's who. Who is my market? Who is my niche? Who is my ideal customer? The who is the foundation on which everything else is built. That is the fundamental question that you want to answer before anything else. You want to know that you're going into a market, into a niche, into a space that um, is one that's going to set you, set you up for success. And so um, I became sort of obsessed with answering the question, what is it that makes a good market? Like, it's easy for us to like the three of us to have a conversation and say, choose a good market. Yeah, yeah, pick a good market. What does that even mean, right? Um, and if you've read any of Jim Collins' work, uh, Good to Great, Great by Choice, uh, Built to Last, any of those books, um, I've always been inspired by his work. And if you're not familiar with his work, he studied uh, he studied the most successful publicly traded companies. And he's looked at what is it that's separated the ones that have been successful for decades and decades and decades versus the ones that were successful for a few years, but then kind of fell off the wayside. And um, similarly, I was very interested in answering this question, what is it that makes a good market? So we started by looking at the 23 markets that we've gone into. And admittedly, some of those markets have been more successful than others. And we looked at what are the factors that have separated the ones that were most successful versus the ones that were less successful. Then we did the same thing with all of our clients and the same thing with our students. And what we ended up finding is that there, it comes down to this. It comes down to seven factors, seven factors that you absolutely need to have in your market for it to be what's called a green light market, where you've got the green light to do exactly what you suggested to uh, your friend, which is move forward to the next step. Now, um, we don't have time to cover all seven, but I do want to cover one or two that I think will be really helpful. So one of the things that we found is that in every one of these markets, um, you need to have what's called a, uh, we found that you need to have what's called the five market must-haves, five things that every market must have um, in order to uh, be worth considering. At a high level, the process in the book is as follows. Brainstorm, test, choose. Brainstorm some possible ideas, test them against these seven tests, and then choose one to actually pursue to go to the next step. And the next step after you choose is to ask. So once you choose your market, the next step is to ask that market a very specific set of questions, which is what I'd advise um, your friend do uh, to determine what is it that the market actually wants 
and then test that hypothesis by doing exactly what you suggested, which is to prove that there is in fact demand before buying or creating or selling anything. Prove that there's demand and then you've got the confidence to know, okay, we can go to China, we can get the prototypes made, we can do all these things because we've picked a good market, we've asked the right questions, and now we can be successful. So five market must-haves. Market must-have number one, need to be in what's called an evergreen market. I learned this the hard way. First market I went into was a fad market. Um, You guys are going to laugh, teaching people how to make Scrabble tile jewelry. It's actually a thing. Um, uh, My wife, (laughs) it's not an evergreen market. It was a fad market like uh, Beanie Babies or Fidget Spinners or any of these things. Uh, But back in 2008, when we started this business, we took that business. I quit my job. This is the first business that we went into. Quit my job. Um, My wife uh, 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 told me about this little website at the time, which is now a big website, but it was a tiny website at the time called Etsy.com. And uh, we were living in China at the time. Um, It was my last corporate job. And she's said, hey, take a look at this website and look at the jewelry that's selling like crazy. It uses Scrabble tiles, origami paper. It's incredible. She said, we live in Asia. We have access to all the origami paper in the world. Uh, We have access to cheap labor in China. We can manufacture this jewelry, import it into the United States, and we're going to make a fortune. And I said, that's a terrible idea. We're not going to do that. Um, And then a few weeks later, she she says, um, and I'm having these conversations with her around like, what type of business should we start? And she says, take a look at this woman's shop on Etsy. She showed me her computer. Now, this woman wasn't selling the jewelry. She was teaching people how to make the jewelry. And the cool thing about Etsy is that you can look at a person's sales history and you can basically reverse engineer their income. You can see how many sales they made today, yesterday, the day before that, and you see exactly how much each of those sales was worth. And we did the math. We went back and we found that this woman was selling like 30 copies a day of this $30 tutorial and was making like 10,000 bucks a month, wow. all profit selling this digital tutorial on how to make this Scrabble tile jewelry. So my wife bought the tutorial. She said, listen, I think I can learn how to make this jewelry. The tutorial wasn't very good. She learned how to make the jewelry. We built a better mousetrap. We started selling $100 in our first month, $200, $500, $1,000, $3,000, $5,000, $8,000 a month. I remember I turned my wife and I said, honey, we're going to get rich. This is crazy. And like <laughs> literally the next month, our sales went down to almost nothing. And I learned that the whole thing was just a fad. It was like Pokemon Go. Like remember when Pokemon Go was like huge? And then like a month later, it was like nothing. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it was the same thing. And so at this point, I quit my job. My wife was in grad school. And we had this moment where we looked at each other and said, crap, what do we do now? And this was back in the day where we didn't have a whole lot of money. And uh, we burned through our savings. We're living in Hong Kong, China at the time, burned through our savings, but one of the most expensive cities in the world. And we said, what do we do now? My wife said, "Um, all right, um, let's go back to America and I'll get a job. So she finished up her her PhD program. She got a job uh, as a museum curator, which is what she went to school, um, studied history. And uh, it paid $36,000 a year. So we moved to Brownsville, Texas, border town um, in uh, South South Texas, uh, less than a mile away from the Mexican border. She has a job and I get to work. And I said, all right, well, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to go to a business that's like a fad. So I said, what are some of the longest, oldest hobbies in America? And uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but the number one or number two hobby in America for the last like hundred years has been the same thing. It's been gardening. 
So I started doing some research and looking at the niches within gardening. I was like, all right, that's a hobby that's here to stay. It's not like Scrabble Tile Jewelry. It's going to be around for a while. And uh, eventually stumbled on the market of orchid care. And the reason why orchid care even came into my uh, awareness is when we lived in China, my wife um, wanted to, uh, always wanted to have orchids. We bought a bunch of orchids from a local florist. And like a week later, they all died. Like we killed them all. Um, so when I was making my big, long list of niche ideas, orchid care came up. And so um, we ended up starting a little orchid care business, um, took that business from nothing to $25,000 a month in 18 months. Um, and then from there, grew it to over half a million dollars a year. My wife quit her job, joined uh, working the company full time. And that was the kind of the first of our 23 markets that we went into. Now, I share that story to show you this. Scrabble Tile market, fad market, disappeared overnight. Orchid care market. Here we are over 10 years later after starting that business. That business today still continues to pay for our living expenses over a decade wow. later in a tiny little niche market that just hums along in the background that nobody knows about unless I talk about it. Um, and so that's the power of being in an evergreen market. It reminds me of like all the startups on Bitcoin that came out, uh, what, two years back when Bitcoin was Dude. like on this thriving and thriving and then Bitcoin crashes, all the startups die. Now it doesn't mean the Bitcoin market might not come back because it is coming back, but uh, it's just funny because there were so many startups, so many so-called experts that came out of nowhere and they all disappeared overnight. Uh, 95% of all those people who are diving into the Bitcoin market, doing Bitcoin podcasts, Bitcoin membership sites, Bitcoin newsletters, Bitcoin this, Bitcoin that are doing something else. Yeah. So, um, yeah. You can I, dude, I was, I was doing a, a Bitcoin trading app at the time I was working, uh, for this company and they, it was like a Bitcoin, uh, Forex, uh, app that was available on Amazon and iOS. And when I got in there, I got in there right when the thing started to really take off and I'm thinking, I am going to make so much money. I'm not, <laughs> that was dead. So it was like the biggest disappointment, but you know. I had the same. So on a smaller scale, when the, the Scrabble tile thing was taken off, it was the same thing every month. It was like, we're doubling every single month. And I'm like, crap, it was like $4,000, $8,000. Next month, I'm like 16,000 bucks. I'm doing the math in my head. I'm like, by the end of this year, gosh, we're going to be making like $30,000, $40,000 a month. That's crazy. And it didn't happen. Um, and so yeah. uh, the lesson there is uh, market must have number one is you want to be in an evergreen market. The way one of the tools that I um, talk about in the book simple tool to figure out what kind of market you're in is to go over to Google trends, trends.google.com. Oh, um, such in a great site. And if you type in Bitcoin, you're going to see, uh, uh, Justin, exactly what you said. You're going to see, uh, the keyword volume of, of Bitcoin, basically flat, 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 huge spike up, drop off a cliff, flat line. And it corresponds with the price of Bitcoin. You're going to see it in Google Trends. So you want to be careful if you're in one of these breakout markets, one of these markets that are just kind of like exploding, that tells you that there is an impending crash around the corner. Instead, what you want to look for is what I call a metronome market, a market that just goes every year, yeah. same thing every single year. And if you Not look crazy volatility like Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, you're going to see this stable market that, just looks like the sinusoidal curve that goes up and down every single yeah. year. Same, same thing. So yeah, Ryan, I, mean, I got a garage full of fidget spinners right now and I know they're coming back. <laughs> I know it. You hang, you hang on to those things. Let's, let's, uh, we'll do this interview in, in five, five more years. We'll see, uh, we'll see how, uh, how that, how that works out. No, no, Ryan, we are, we are getting to the end of the interview here. We're getting close to the end. Uh, so I'd like to, I'd like to hear how our listeners can um, purchase shoes how they can uh, how they can get involved with your uh, with your launch that's going on right now, 
Uh, sure. If you can share a little bit about that, I appreciate it. Great. Yeah. So, um, you know, we covered one thing. Um, and so if you want to find out what the five market must-haves are, what the other tests are, um, I wanted to make it a super duper slam dunk, easy decision for you. And so here's what we're doing. You can buy a copy of Choose bookstores around the country, um, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, you can buy the book. It's $24.99 hardcover. Um, but uh, for anyone who's a listener, we want to do something special. And that is we're going to give you a free hardcover copy of the book. I've got a limited supply here in the office to do this with first come first serve. Wow. Um, all, all that we ask you pay a few dollars shipping and handling. Will my team will ship it to you anywhere in the world, wherever you're at right now. Um, and to make like it a the super Netherlands, <laughs> even the Netherlands, um, even the Netherlands. Um, and, uh, and to make it uh, super special, um, we're also doing this. I'm going to buy you the audiobook for free. So, and the reason for that is I know a lot of people like me, who like listening to podcasts, you're probably like an audiobook person like I am. So I'm just going to buy an audiobook, um, include that. And then we have a whole bunch of other bonuses, like over, I don't know, like $200 in free bonuses, including um, uh, the 25 niche markets I would be going into this year. Um, I went into 23. They're, they're like the next 25 on my list. So you can see exactly what they are and how they check off all the tests inside the book. Um, and the link for that is a, is a special link that you want to make sure you get. It's choosethebook.com forward slash marketing geeks. Um, and again, it's choose the book.com forward slash marketing geeks. And we have a limited supply. We don't have a ton of these books available um, here in our office, but first come first serve on that. Um, I'm getting one. To get a copy of the book. I already have mine, but my favorite part of the audio book is that you actually read choose. Whereas an ask uh, you had a stand in, you had a stand in reading ask. Yes. I always find I it more compelling to have the author read the book. And I think you also are more compelling than the other guy. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, that was one of the biggest pieces of feedback. So using the ask method in action, one of the biggest pieces of feedback that we learned from the first book is um, people overwhelmingly wanted uh, me, the author, to read the book. So if you ever do a book, um, as painful as it is to be inside that audio studio for a week with no food, no water, no air, um, get it done. Your listeners will uh, will thank you for it. Did you add lib at all? Yeah, that sounds like my childhood. <laughs> Did you add lib at all or go straight off the script there, Ryan? It's pretty much uh, in the book. It's pretty much close to close to script. In fact, I had an audio engineer who insisted that even if I changed a word like um, you to you all or something like that, he would say, no, 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 no. We got to go back. We got to be in integrity. We got to read the book um, as it stands. Not so, like Gary V who like pretty much goes off script all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, it's like, well, that's not the well, book. Yeah. Well, this is amazing. We'll put a, uh, that link down at the bottom. I recommend that all of our seven listeners, uh, so you probably get at least seven people, uh, you know, awesome. wanting, uh, <laughs> wanting a copy. Uh, but before you go, I got to find out, uh, what's, uh, what's the thing you're most geeky about? Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I just finished, yeah. uh, watching stranger things three. And I got to tell you, I'm not impressed very much by uh, anything these days, but I, I got to hand it to, uh, the Duffer brothers, man. That show is so wonderful and fun and just, so good. I, I, that's the thing I'm uh, geeky about. And I'm also geeky about uh, on uh, Yahoo. Uh, there's a Yahoo podcast about uh, Seth Rich, which I okay. also, uh, it's so well done. I recommend that people uh, listen to it. And uh, it's just, it's journalism at its very finest. So uh, those are the things that I'm geeky about. Uh, right? What are you geeky so about? I will say with uh, my two boys, uh, we did watch Stranger Things season three. We just finished it ourselves. So it was a lot of fun watching it as a family. Um, but the thing that I'm a total geek over, um, and this, there's, this is public knowledge and, and it can be validated, 
is uh, I'm what we call a total A-fole, not an A-hole, but an A-fole, which is uh, an adult fan of Lego. Huge Lego. Um, It is kind of my thing. Um, We have a Lego room in our house. Um, We build a Lego set pretty much every single week. Um, Yeah, uh, we're pretty hardcore into Lego. Uh, You and my brother would get along. My brother runs a business on Lego. He does a- Oh, really? Yeah, he's got a company called The Brick Empire, and he, he basically- uh, he flips Legos pretty much. I mean, and he build, you know, he builds sets, flips Legos. That's what he does. <laughs> it's a great, Loves it's it. a great business. It's a great market. And uh, interestingly, um, in the book Choose, I share the story of Chad Collins, who uh, is a has a business uh, where he built a, 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 a an event called Brickfest Live, which has become the largest Lego fan convention in the country. And uh, two years ago, I had the honor of being the keynote speaker at an event with over 25,000 Lego fans from around the country. And I shared my personal story of how um, I hid the fact that I was a Lego fan for because <laughs> I was embarrassed. Like when I was a teenager, as you should be, friends, as you should be, I totally should be. But you know, my friends were out there playing video games, chasing girls, and I still secretly had my Lego underneath my bed at home. And it's a thing that I kept secret for years. I shared it with, um, you know, 25,000 people who came to that event. And I can't tell you how many moms and dads came up to me afterwards and were so grateful that I shared that story because, you know, they've got young boys and young girls who are kind of nice. like we are. And yeah, man, you know what, you gotta, you gotta represent and, and, and come out of the toy chest. It's just, you know, come out of the geek can't. closet. Come out of the geek closet. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely i'm out of my i'm out of my lego geek closet it's been we're not going to do any lego shaming said. here it's you know <laughs> love everybody so uh, yeah. uh so that's uh that's fantastic justin what are you geeky about this week uh, i it's it's all about time travel and quantum realities and the show the best show on television right now is called dark it's on netflix it is like seriously i'm still obsessed with it it's like it's amazing if you like like mind yeah. bending and it's like so it stretches the imagination. I'm a big, I'm a big Season fan. One of these, was great. I'm a big fan of these like quantum multidimensional. Things. <laughs> I know. Cause we're living in the weirdest timeline. Aren't we? It's like, this we is are. the weirdest well, timeline. We discussion. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Mandela effect, but the Mandela effect essentially is this like where people have false memories of things that they swear happened, but they mm-hmm. didn't happen. So I, I um, and so there's a theory that people ha- were in a different dimension. They actually did happen and they switched over. <laughs> but I had this thing where uh, there was news about Rip Torn who passed away yesterday. And I was like, I could have sworn like up and down that I read about him passing away like two or three years ago. And like, I was like convinced and I was like, sh- I, it just, it was like completely mind blowing to me. Um, so, I mean, Rip Torn, great actor. I don't mean any disrespect by it, but it's, uh, it was just, it was so confusing. It was like, what? <laughs> well, I remember when Chris Christopherson died and guess what? He's still alive. Crazy. I, I don't know if you've ever had that multidimensional sort of uh, switcheroo, Ryan, but. Uh, all, the, you know. all, all the time. Um, I, uh, yeah, I can identify with this completely. And um, what's crazy is, uh, um, before we wrap here, is uh, from a marketing context, um, I've seen this happen before where I've had an idea implanted into my mind and I didn't even realize it was implanted into my mind. And then I watch a marketing message and I get confirmation on it only later to find out that that same company was the one that implanted that idea into my mind <laughs> before that made me think that it was just a belief that I've always held. So there's a marketing lesson in there as well. Very wow. cool. 
I love how you bring multi-dimensional time travel back to marketing. And that's hey, we got we got got to do what we can here, right? <laughs> bring the geek piece, bring the marketing piece, tie it together, and there you go. Listen, guys, it's been awesome. Super grateful. Oh, Ryan, thank you so thank much. You. Please come back and uh, be on <laughs> our show. Tell uh, five thousand of your yep. closest friends. Uh, Write another uh, book so we can get you back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, good luck with the book, man. And please, uh, listeners, get get into this guy. He's a, he's amazing. I, I'm geeking out just talking to you. But uh, Ryan Levesque, everybody, thank you so much uh, for uh, being Man, I've, that was uh, so cool. And uh, before we go, we just want to remind everybody, uh, if you want to have your own podcast like we do and get as successful as us, the 19th most popular marketing podcast, according to a website, uh, then uh, we've got the uh, webinar for you. Uh, Justin. Yes. Uh, all you have to do is go to the URL podcastmasterycourse.com. Reserve your spot. It takes place on July 31st at 1130 a.m. This is 2019 if you're listening to this in the future. Uh, and also, don't forget that Ryan Levesque uh, was gracious enough to provide a very special guest to our listeners where you could get the, his book, Choose, along with his audiobook for free, uh, along with some digital bonuses, it sounded like. Um, you, you do cover shipping, but you go to the website, choosethebook.com forward slash marketing geeks. Again, that's choosethebook.com dot com forward slash marketing geeks to get your free copy of the book. All you do is cover shipping and you get the book and the audio book, a way better deal than buying them both on audible or Amazon or wherever you buy your books. Yeah. It is a limited supply. And guess what? I'm uh, since, since our seven listeners are going to listen to this like in a week, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to get mine first. So that's right. You got to jump. You got to jump on them. That's right. That's right. I, I, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's good to be King. And with that, Another fine episode of Marketing Geeks. Uh, we have some really big announcements coming up. So uh, I recommend that you go to the webinar because your reality, ladies and gentlemen, is about to change forever. That's right. There's going to be a shift in the quantum field. Everything is going to change with the Marketing Geeks. And you don't want to miss it. You want to be there. You want to hear it firsthand from us. Do not miss the webinar. It will be incredible, spectacular, amazing. Because because right. we're we're going to announce something seriously. We're going to announce something big, and uh, it's going to blow people's minds. And uh, yeah, we're going to have a good time. It'll be like the Beatles reuniting, even though yeah. you know half of them are dead. And remember, do not start businesses that are for Scrabble tile jewelry or for Bitcoin consulting. At least, well, Bitcoin might be back. I don't know. I'm not sure about Bitcoin. But if right after two my years fidget ago. spinners. Yeah. <laughs> right after spinners my are the craze. <laughs> yes. And Pokemon so, uh, Go. Pokemon Go tutorial. <laughs> thank you again, everybody, for being part of the uh, Marketing Geeks movement. We are uh, have gone from a podcast to a movement. That's all because of you. So thank you, ladies and gentlemen. And with that, stay classy.